If you're an ambitious business owner ready to think big, rewrite your own rules and take action to skyrocket your business know-how, your profit, your cash flow, and most importantly, your free time, then this is the podcast for you. You're listening to the Simply Smarter Numbers podcast, and I'm your host, Jen Waterson. I'm a business profit coach helping business owners just like you make more profit and take back their time. So hit subscribe now and let's dive in. Today, I'm very excited to have a guest with us who is a legal expert. So it's not something that we all sort of, you know, it's not the best part of our day. We're not looking forward to getting in touch with our legal people, but we all need to be surrounded by the right legal people. And I think it's really important for us as business owners to be well-informed and informed enough to protect ourselves when we need protection. We don't know what we don't know. And I guess that's what I wanted to talk to today's guest about, Riz from Found Legal. And what we're going to talk about is contracts and we're going to talk about IP. So the types of things that service-based businesses out there need to know when it comes to contracts, the types of things that perhaps you should be asking your legal people And then we're going to touch on IP. And I think IP is a really interesting topic around intellectual property. You know, what is it? What are the differences between your trademarks and your copywriting and things like that? So as a business owner, I think we need to make a point of knowing the things that are going on, knowing a bit more about the things that are going on around us. So this is where I would love to introduce today's guest, Riz McDonald. Hello, and thank you so much, Jen, for having me today. Very excited to have you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your business, Riz. Well, my name's Riz McDonald, and I'm the founder and director of Find Legal. Um, I just celebrated my first year anniversary in September, which I was delighted about. Um, oh, congratulations. Thank you. And um, I started Find, I, I'm a lawyer of 16 years experience. I've been um, negotiating and drafting contracts for the last about 12 years. And um, I saw a gap in the market for, um, you know, legal services that were affordable for creatives and entrepreneurs, online businesses. Um, And so I I, I put fine together and, um, and I've been loving every minute of that journey since I started. Um, I offer a fixed fee type service uh, that also incorporates um, templates and courses and business strategy as well, uh, utilizing my um, business experience as well as my legal experience. Yeah, great. Oh, well, I'm very excited to have you here because I am, my background is in accounting. So in my background as an accountant, working with a lot of business owners, there's been so, so many times where we have to spend time working with um, a client's legal team. So, you know, working on different things together with the legal people. So talking to legal people isn't something that I haven't done before. I've done it many times for many, many different reasons. But when you're actually running your own business and you're dealing with your own clients and you're looking at from a, you know, you're too, sometimes you're busy and you, you don't need to know every single thing that you, know, that, uh, that you guys as legal people know, but you need to know what to ask. You need to know 
what you need to do. And I guess that's where contract seems to be the first place that we need to sort of head to where as we start to, you know, get more clients, grow, get bigger paying clients, clients that are hanging around for, you know, months at a time as opposed to even one job at a time. And and I thought it might be a really good chance to just have that conversation around why do we need contracts? So why do we need contracts, Riz? Well, if you provide a service, um, any kind of service, basically, and especially with the online business space growing so much, with so many amazing services uh, being offered from graphic design, web design, social media marketing, etc., just to name a few, um, you know, it's important that um, both the service provider and the client have certain expectations and boundaries set in writing. Um, so to avoid confusion around when should um, the service provider be paid? What is, um, you know, the scope of the services to avoid scope creep? And we'll talk a wee bit more about that. Um, also to, you know, set out essentially, you know, who owns the intellectual property that's created during uh, the provision of those services. But in a nutshell, it's all about setting out the rules of engagement between both parties, what their obligations are, and what the outcome is that they want from that arrangement. And when you don't have things in writing, you know, there's confusion, there's every, each person has their own interpretation of events, and it's much better to have everything in black and white where you can refer back to if you need to. Yeah, so it's about setting some boundaries while everything is going well, you know, assuming that we're, when we're about to engage somebody as a service provider or assuming that everything is going well because they're about to pay you some money, that is then the best time to sit down and just, you know, agree on the boundaries of the job. Is that about the sort of size of it? There's that as well. And also to limit your liabilities and uh, protect you from any risks as well. So it's it's a combination of the sort of the um, limitation of your liabilities, clear boundaries and clear expectations um, to avoid scenarios like, uh, for example, scope creep. When you um, uh, have a discussion with your client, you're all excited about your new project. You talk about the services you're going to provide. You go away and create what you think is what you've agreed with that client. They look at the work and say, well, no, I wanted these other things as well. And uh, your understanding was, no, no, we're only doing this. This is the job. Their understanding is completely different. And the difference between that understanding could be thousands of dollars. Um, Yeah, that's so so true. That that can cause a problem. Yeah. I actually just... uh, have had a couple of really good conversations with clients around scope creep and how it is really starting to impact their businesses. So, you know, when you quote on a job or when you agree to a price on a job, you yourself have very specific ideas on what that job entails. But I guess even the best of clients at some point can try to sort of take advantage maybe of your perhaps your good nature or perhaps your willingness to please and try and sort of, you know, sneak in a little bit of extra of this and a little bit of extra of that or a, a second revision or a third revision or whatever it is that your job is. Um, it can People can kind of take advantage of us and they don't have to be bad people to do that, do they, Riz? You know, Absolutely. we're all... Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, when you have clear 
clarity around what it is that the job entails. And if you make it clear to the client, hey, this is the scope of the work. If you want anything outside the scope of this work, then this is what's going to happen. And then set out what this is, i.e. if you want me to work overtime, these are my overtime rates. If you want me to provide you with these extra optional add-ons, then this is the fee for those things. So making it clear upfront to the client what the actual scope of the work is, how much that cost is, and what will happen if you go over over that outside of that scope, what, what's the rate if you have to do overtime, for example. Mm-hmm. So you, you set those things out clearly so that when um, you're in a situation where they've asked you to do something that's not in the scope, you can very nicely and gently you know, say to them, oh, well, this is outside of the scope of what we've agreed. If you would like me to do this part of the job, I'm more than happy to, and here's the details of the cost for that. Yeah, and I guess it just makes it easier to say no and it makes the conversation flow a little bit easier when you can say, as we have outlined in the agreement that we put in place at the beginning of our engagement, when you've got something else like a third, it's almost like having this little third party sitting there for you to refer to to make that conversation easier as opposed to just saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, but I, I'm not that wasn't part of the deal, you know, and, and it can avoid, it can avoid some pretty sort of uncomfortable conversations, can't it really? Absolutely. And, and look, when you have that initial consultation, you should be setting the boundaries and expectations from the word go at that initial consultation. And then you confirm the scope of the work through the contract. And when they sign it, they're signing on the basis they've understood that this is the scope of the work that they're signing. So when you have um, that certainty and you've layered out those boundaries through your consultation and then through the follow-up with the contract, it um, makes it clear. And it's a better customer experience as well because then there's no surprises if they want something outside of scope. You can just, you don't have to even refer to the contract in, in, in that sense. You can just say, look, it's out of scope. However, these are the fees we're happy to do the job for you. Um, but if there, if there has to be an awkward conversation where the client is insistent, then certainly you can refer to the contract. I always find, you know, when I work with my clients and we, we help them draft the, the documents that they need, you know, having conversations with their clients and setting their expectations is super, super important because it's a much better client journey for both parties um, uh, where you're not having to remind them necessarily of the contract terms if you're setting the expectations beforehand and then reaffirming them with the contract terms. Mm, yeah, it increases your professionalism. I think as a business owner, you 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 are a more professional person for handing over a contract. Absolutely, um, it, it legitimizes and 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 like you said, makes you appear more professional when you have proper contract terms in place. And you know, the your client is also comforted knowing that everything is being documented. And they have had the opportunity to approve that scope of work and confirm, you know, the understanding of what is um, being provided to them. 
Yeah. Does it also protect you in so far as, say, the job involves the client having to, so let's say, for example, we're a website designer and part of your contract in designing that website says that you will provide them with um, work, like the copy work or the imagery or whatever it might be that needs to be provided by a certain time in order for you to finish off the job by your agreed time. Does it kind of take into account those sort of other things that can get in the way of the completion of a project? Is that Absolutely, absolutely. And it should, if it doesn't, it should. You know, all the things that you would like to see in the contract, for example, you know, we've already talked about um, the scope of the services to avoid scope creep. Then there's the payment terms. And then there's the, uh, what you've touched upon there just now is uh, the ownership of the intellectual property, for example, the approval, um, the approval process so that if you send them work for review uh, and they are deadlines to meet, and don't forget you will have other clients and other deadlines as well. So it's important that each of your clients, you know, attempt to meet those deadlines that have been set and agreed. And so uh, having those within the contract, within that um, uh, proposal, if you like, set clearly what these um, uh, dates and timeframes, anything that's important in your agreement is super, super important. Mm, Yeah. So is there anybody that doesn't need them? So it's easy, I guess, for us to say, yeah, you all got to go and get contracts and you all need to have some sort of service agreement there with your clients going forward. Can you get away with it? You know, or or what, what type of risks are you really taking other than say, the risk of not being paid like maybe you should be paid before the job to start with but let's just say I got paid before the job and then I performed the job without a contract and then they weren't happy with the job and the client wanted the money back you know that sort of thing does a contract help with that kind of thing as well yes so a contract should absolutely help you with that kind of scenario Um, so you need to have language in there as to what happens if the work has been uh, approved whether you should still be responsible if the clients approve the work I would think not Um, uh, what happens if the client wants a refund do you have a dispute resolution process in your contract uh, around what happens if the client is unhappy and how that's supposed to be dealt with. That's super, super important to have those steps in your contract. Um, And when you don't have a contract, then you're going to be, there's going to be an argument and potentially uh, an escalation where you are going to need to engage lawyers. And that's when it becomes much more expensive. Um, I prefer a proactive approach where you have clear, uh, contracts in place that deal with all these things. So if anything should go wrong, you have something to follow uh, and guide you as to how to deal with that rather than the escalation and the mess and then being reactive because you have nothing to guide you as to how this should be handled. Drill at home for us. What types of things practically can go wrong when we don't take care of the types of things that we've been talking about today? Absolutely. So one example I can give is I had a client um, a while back now who was owed $25,000 in fees. And unfortunately, she had not put in a contract in place and had kept undertaking more and more work from the same client, despite money being owed. Um, And it was a very, very stressful time for her. She was um, 
having to think about going to small claims court and the stress involved in doing all of that when if she'd had the right terms and conditions in place she could have um, made sure she received a deposit uh, not undertaken any future work until all outstanding invoices were paid because her terms would have said so um, and instead of growing and building her business and relationships with new clients and existing clients she was spending a lot of time and getting very stressed trying to deal with this outstanding payment um, and, and, and trying to fight this person to get this money that she was owed and she was owed the money um, and she had every right to that money, but unfortunately she didn't put in terms in place to protect her. Um, another example, and this is around intellectual property. Um, in fact, I have two examples. One is where due diligence wasn't undertaken when uh, a client came up with a business name um, and didn't do all their searches. They only done a search of um, the ASIC register and uh, some uh, domain names, but they didn't check the trademark register. And so the day before launch, after spending all that money on brand assets and branding, uh, etc., they discovered they um, weren't able to launch with that name. They had to change their name at the last minute because somebody yeah. else owned the trademark. How devastating. I know. Um, so things like that. And uh, in terms of um, uh, talking about intellectual property again, uh, another scenario is where um, I had a client who was a surface designer, so designing beautiful, you know, designs that, you know, when you go to the likes of Kmart or David Jones or Myers and you go to their linen department, you see these beautiful bed linens and beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. um, cushions and things with the beautiful fabrics and the patterns on them. Well, um, she'd had had a contract. In her case, she did have a contract, but what she didn't have was the confidence uh, of understanding her contract and having the correct terms in her contract. So she didn't clarify that um, the, what she was creating was for a specific purpose only. Uh, she kept it too wide. The language she used wasn't clear enough. So in her case, the, uh, the license was only to use her copyright on bed linen. And this particular person used it on other things that she was not paid for because of the language in a contract wasn't clear enough. So I helped tidy up. She'd used, um, basically she'd copied and pasted a contract together and that's what she'd been using. And and th- in this particular instance, she um, was burnt by that. So I yeah, helped tidy up really the, the terms. Really important to get yeah, that custom advice. That's right. So her fee would have been double, treble what she charged if she, you know, had had it, uh, had the language in place correctly to allow the extension of that license for other uses. Um, so th- those are the kind of some of the examples I've come across uh, where they've had to be reactive rather than proactive. Um, so for me, that's just one small indicator of why having clear, clear terms is so important or having terms in the first place. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's the types of things that I guess as a professional, as a lawyer, who's seen a lot of it before that you can sort of preempt that sort of stuff and say, okay, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And, and as a business owner, we're sort of going, okay, well, yeah, that I hadn't considered that. Am I covered for that? You know, and when you've, talking to somebody with experience that can customize the contracts specifically for you, you truly can be saving yourself thousands of dollars. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, 
for, Not for, to mention the headaches and the heartache along the way. Correct. If the the exam the first example uh, as an example that I use, uh, if she'd had a contract in place that set out she was going to get a deposit, that any work um, completed would not be handed over until payment was made, that she would not undertake any further work if there was any outstanding invoices for example, that wouldn't have escalated that amount to such a large amount and still be owed. Yeah, yeah. And I guess um, the other thing is, as a business owner, we're very good at what we're very good at. And some of us are just not very good at things like asking for the money. You know, she wouldn't have known that she's not being paid for the work, but it can be really hard to bring yourself to ask for the money sometimes. Absolutely. And, And this is why, you know, you should set up not just, you know, don't, I always say to my clients, don't use the contract as a bandaid, use it as a safety net, set your boundaries and expectations as part of the interactions you have with your client, and then combine that with the contract terms as well. Um, and so you're constantly kind of setting those boundaries and expectations from the moment the client meets you for uh, for the process during and then the after as well. So it's all all there um, and, and, and just part of how you run your business, you know. It's all yeah. part of, as part of how you run your business and you stick to those boundaries. Such great advice, such great advice, Riz. One of the other things um, I wanted to touch upon as well is intellectual property and clarifying in the contract, well, who owns it? You know, if you don't have that kind of clarification, then um, then there's a problem either for your client or for you, depending on what what your contract says or doesn't yeah. say. Um, so having an understanding about that and having that incorporated into the contract is super, super important. So uh, and the other thing is, you know, you may want to be recognized as the person who provided the work and created the work. So having clear language around that is super, super important as well. So um, when you, sorry, go on, you were going to say yeah, something? I was just going to say, it just made me think of um, another time I, we, I was having a conversation with a client around, um, let me think now, the client had done some amazing work for an amazing uh, client of theirs and they really wanted to be able to use that in their marketing and it was never a case of confidentiality or anything like that but the client didn't want them to sort of use their work in their marketing which was kind of really disappointing because it this business which was really sort of growing and could have would have received it would have been fantastic for their marketing but they were unable to because it was not agreed at the start that I would be able to use that marketing for my future business growth and I I felt like that was a bit harsh for that for that client but maybe that's something else that you can build into it as you grow you know particularly if you're a designer or someone like that that really needs to visually showcase their work in order to get more work then it's really helpful for them to be able to sort of have that agreement at the very start to say, hey, um, if everything goes well and you ex- you know, you're happy with this stuff that I'm producing for you, can I use it in my marketing going forward? Is that sort of thing that you can add in early on as well? Absolutely. You can add it in to the contract um, and so therefore you have the right to use it. Look, as a courtesy, you could, you know, if you wanted to as an additional courtesy at the end of the job, 
you know, request and confirm to them that you'll be using the content uh, or let them know that you will be using it and posting it. Uh, but certainly you can incorporate those con consents into the agreement um, so that you don't have to uh, follow up necessarily. Mm, yeah. And then getting on to IP. So intellectual property, just give us a bit of an idea of exactly what it is. What are the differences between, you know, trademarking something or copywriting something? Because those terms can be a used a little bit interchangeably sometimes, I think, for those of us that aren't really sort of on top of all the lingo. Just give us a bit of a run through on what it is exactly. Absolutely. So with um, trademarks, that's more um, the... Um, business name, the the brand name, um, the slogan. So Nike, you know, that's the name, the trademark. Uh, and so is the slogan, just do it. Um, that's also a trademark. So that that's one example of how you can um, register a trademark. Uh, and it's something you have to do through IP Australia in Australia. Um, and it basically allows you, I don't know if uh, you've seen the little eye in a circle, so once your trademark is registered, you get to use that next to your name and it gives you exclusive rights to your name. So if you um, set up a business and you come up with a cool name and you register that business name and company name and you get the domains and the socials, but you don't register the trademark somebody else uh, does or somebody else already has and you haven't checked on IP Australia, you may need to rename your business um, and it's a costly exercise if you've gone through a whole branding. Thing of nightmares. Yes. So it's really, really important to do all your searches properly before you decide on a name. Uh, and then when you do decide on a name, make sure that you uh, get those domains, get those socials, um, register the name and register the trademark. Um, so that's something you would register to get the exclusive rights to it. So just to be clear, Registering a business name uh, with ASIC does not give you exclusive rights. Only a trademark can do that. Whereas with copyright, copyright exists the moment it's created. So, uh, for example, if you have an idea, it's not copyright because it's still in your head. It's an idea. But if you put it down on paper, if it's something original like a song, a poem, a book, um, your course content, your blog article, all of that is copyright if it's your original content. And you can, um, and what you can do with that is you can add a little C in a circle, put in your business name, the year, uh, just, it, it's not a legal requirement, by the way, but it's something to indicate to the world, hey, this is my copyright. Um, and you also, to protect that copyright, you have website terms and conditions. If you have blog content or imagery on your website, that's your original content. Um, and you can also monetize your copyright. So you can create course content from your copyright. You can create eBooks. You can create pretty much anything you can think of, checklists, lead generation documents, all sorts of things for your business. That's your original content and it's your copyright. Um, so when you say we are going to say I, I um, have a blog and I want to copyright that or whatever it might be. If I have the little C in the circle, I just literally have to put that on there with my business name next to it or my personal name, whatever it might be next to it. Then that is that an automatic copyright or do I have to go through some like big channels of paperwork and no, systems no. and things? So copyright is created the moment you um, mm. write it down. 
okay and then when you publish it um, it's there for the world to see it it's your original content but what you can do to try and prevent um, people plagiarizing uh, your content is make sure you have website terms and conditions that tell the world, hey, the content on my website is mine. It's my intellectual property. You can use it to, you know, you can come to my website and read it, but you can't copy it and then pretend it's your content and, you know, um, and post the blog on your website without my permission, for example. Um, uh, yeah, that's-, that's really that's really interesting. You know, even just um, actually literally last night myself, I had a lovely lady uh, email me and say, I'm writing a blog and uh, some of the content that you had in one of your podcasts has inspired me. I'm inspired to include it in my blog. Would you like uh, me to reference you and would you like to put a link to your website where I, where I put it in? And I've said, oh, yeah, sure. So that was very proactive and nice of her to do that. I guess anyone could have done it and not and and not yeah and yeah. not referenced me at all. But I thought, well, that's really nice of her. But yes, my terms and conditions on the website would say all of that. Um, and she's just following through and doing the right thing, isn't she? Absolutely. And look, you might have seen, you know, when you're on socials, for example, Instagram, you'll see pictures on there that might not be the original content of the person posting, but you'll see a little pic credit to the original photographer or the original source to indicate, you know, a credit to them. Um, so it's always good to ask permission first and not assume that the content you find on Google is free. Um, you know, it's always worth, if, if at all possible, to uh, ask for permission. And if in doubt, don't use it uh, unless you know it's free. Um, and, you know, it's a, there's no, um, you know, uh, if you're not able to find the original source and you're not 100% sure you know, uh, as to its origin, it might be best to look for something else where you can get a, a consent to use somebody else's copyright. So if in doubt, you know, don't use it, but always ask for permission because you could be breaching copyright even inadvertently. Um, yeah. And it depends on the situation as well. So, and look, it's good karma to ask, I think, you know, yeah, to ask right. and, and do the right thing. Absolutely. You wouldn't want it done to you. So uh, you should, you know, uh, pay it forward, so to speak, and always ask permission um, and to avoid, you know, uh, potential copyright infringement as well. Yeah. So then how do we actually go about doing this? So there are people out there that have templates. I don't know if you do, uh, Riz, whether templates are the way to go or whether we actually you know, should be looking at outsourcing them and getting something sort of custom built when it comes to contracts. What's your advice there? So it depends. Um, we are on my website, we sell templates and we also offer custom services. So typically um, people who are pretty confident with um, contracts and have already worked with contracts previously tend to buy the templates because they don't need the extra support. Uh, whereas with the custom services, they they want a bit more guidance, a bit more support uh, and to be walked through the contract and, and the terms explained to them and have them drafted specifically around uh, specific things to their business. Um, and in, in terms of, you know, copying and pasting from randomly, uh, look, if I have problems with my car, I go to a mechanic. I don't try and fix it myself. Uh, <laughs> so that would be uh, my uh, response to uh, finding things uh, on Google, good old Google. Um, 
also, you know, when you find things, random things on Google, they might not necessarily two things. One, you could be infringing somebody's copyright. Uh, yeah, and, very good point. <laughs> and, and two, you might be copying things that are totally irrelevant to your business and how you operate your business. Um, so it's much better to source um, either templates or um, custom services from a reputable source and um, to make sure that it aligns with what you're doing and how you do your business and make sure it protects you for what you're needing to be protected from. Yeah, perfect. So then to finish that conversation up, how often should we be reviewing these things? So I work with a lot of clients that have been in business for two, three, four years and presuming that we get something in place at the start of our business, at what point should we be looking at updating it or upgrading it or changing it reviewing it yeah is there certain trigger points i think it's worth um well a couple of triggers could happen one is if you have a poor experience with a client and it might highlight that there might be a potential gap in your contract as an example and you use that as a lesson to improve what you have uh the other is it's worth um checking at least once a year uh, your contract terms and whether they still align with how you run your business and your processes because businesses and processes do change um, and it's worth um, revisiting from that perspective as well your payment terms you know you might have changed um, how you provide the services and the format you provide them may have changed as well so it's always worth um, revisiting revisiting your contracts when you've had an experience with a client that requires uh, you to have a look at anything specific, whether you've changed your systems and processes that might impact how you deliver the services and impact therefore the terms of your contract. And also just a general tidy up once a year as well, if you haven't had those experiences in between, it's um, always worth a look as well. Mm, yeah no it's really it's really interesting it's one of those things that I think as a business owner we can keep putting it off and keep putting it off and thinking oh I'll get to that I'll get to that but I guess it's like we said earlier we really need to be on top of these you know these unfun things in business because unfortunately it's all the unfun things in business that really add up to you know, they are the things that we build on to build these like great, amazing businesses. It's not all about just doing all the fun stuff all the time. It's about being really careful that we take care of the unfun stuff at the same time. Would you agree? Absolutely. And look, it's, um, you know, you've got to treat your business. And this is the thing with small businesses. Um, they think small when I want to teach them and show them that they need to think big. Okay. Yeah. And as part of that is, you know, um, uh, having the right contracts in place to not only protect you but protect your client and uh, give your client confidence in working with you because they can see they, they're getting a proper real contract not um, you know something random riddled with spelling errors and totally irrelevant to your yeah. business um, and, and not only that but it's um, you know it gives I said confidence, but also comfort to the client that they they know exactly what they're getting. It's it kind of confirms any consultation you might have had with them. Um, it also protects you both um, from the client's perspective. They know the job that they're going to be getting, when they might be getting that job, and um, 
what to expect from you as they go through the process with you uh, and whether they own the intellectual property, for example, when they should pay you, all those things are very quite clear to them. From your perspective, you know that um, you've got clear uh, terms around what happens if there's a cancellation or a refund, what happens, you know, to the intellectual property, whether you should own it or they should own it, and, and in what circumstances, um, you know what to do if they don't pay you on time, you know what you can do if, um, you know, they want additional work that's outside of scope, you're comfort comfortable and confident that your terms have set out exactly what you need to uh, take you on that journey with that client. And generally, I guess with a lot of businesses, you really only have to do this once and then sort of tweak it and maintain it. But is it kind of a once thing or is it one per service offering? So it's on the one hand, it's a once thing, but each, uh, I guess, scope of work or proposal will be unique to that individual client. But the, your general terms will always be uh, essentially the same. Uh, unless you have negotiated anything in that contract terms, in those terms that are specific to a particular client. So you may have, say, payment terms that are, you know, uh, 30 days for one client and you've decided you're going to have seven days for another client for whatever reason. Uh, I would recommend, by the way, for small businesses to operate on seven to 14 days and preferably with a deposit up front. Um, yeah. But... Um, but, but certainly, you know, there could be some nuances in the contract that you negotiate for a, a particular client that you won't necessarily do for all clients. Um, and that would be the only time you would change your terms. Um, but if possible, you know, try to resist any changes that have a negative impact on you. Um, but yes, the, the general terms will always hopefully stay the same, but your scope of work um, or your proposal or whatever you want to call it, you know, that will be unique to each um, individual client for the most part. Yeah. Well, I think it sums it up pretty easily. We just need to be proactive as business owners. We need to take care of ourselves and not wait until something terrible happens to then go, oh, I wish I had have taken Riz's advice and got myself a contract sorted, you know. So it's about that proactivity pretty much in every aspect of your business. Be proactive, take care of it, minimize the risks and yeah, and and increase the experience for you, both you and your clients going forward. Absolutely. And when you have that kind of um, uh, processes and documentation in place, it is a better experience both for you and the client. And not only that, there's more likelihood of that client then referring you on because they've had clear boundaries, clear expectations set all along the way, and there's been effective communication along the way, um, and they're more likely to refer you on than, say, somebody who's had a poor experience with you because there was no clear boundaries, there's no expectations set, and it was very ad hoc. Mm, miscommunication and everything that goes with it. Correct. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, that was really helpful, Riz. I hope it's helped somebody out there because, like I say, it's the type of thing that we can just put off and put off and put off. And sometimes we just need to bite the bullet and say, all right, I am going to get this stuff sorted. And like you say, once it's there, it really can be reused over and over again. And and at least then you're every time you pick it up, you're only looking at the tiny little changes that you might need to make for very specific clients. It's not like you're having to rebuild, um, you know, rebuild everything from scratch every time. So 
Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm sure it's really, it's going to be, yeah, really helpful for a lot of people. How can people find you, Riz? Well, they can find me, uh, uh, I pretty much live on Instagram half the time, but they can find me on Instagram, find legal with two Ds, uh, and also on um, Facebook. Uh, my website is findlegal.com. Uh, and they can find me there as well. And um, uh, and I have my own podcast, Legals and Biz with Riz, as well. So there's lots of different ways in which you can find me. Um, I'm always uh, open to DMs. Uh, a lot of my clients uh, send me DMs as well. So quite open to that. And um, yeah, I love um, supporting businesses and helping them think big and scale those empires. Oh, wonderful. And I actually really love the way you seem to be able to communicate what can be quite difficult and complicated to some people. You seem to have a knack for communicating it in a way that makes sense. And I think when we're talking to legal people, and the same goes for, you know, the old accounting industry and or the insurance industry, those sort of financial services industries, I think when you can have a conversation with people and help them to understand things that they didn't actually understand before and may and talking talking real people terms and use examples and that sort of thing it just gives them more confidence to make that proactive decision and invest in things like your contracts or IP or whatever it is that they need to do so yeah I like your approach you're doing well thank you so much thank you um that's the aim it's to educate and assist businesses to be proactive rather than reactive reactive costs a lot more money not to mention the you know the stress um, and impact to mental health when um, you know you have a situation that's so negative, and um, you know it, it, with with the kind of um, scenario where there's uncertainty for both parties, it creates a lot of angst, and it's not worth it if you can be proactive. Yeah, be proactive. Avoid the ugly. Yes. And um, yeah, go get the advice that you suspect that you may need. If you suspect you need it, then you probably do need it. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Riz. And to all of you that are listening, thanks very much for tuning in and we shall speak again soon. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Simply Smarter Numbers. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe so you automatically get new shows every week. And I'd love to hear from you. Come and join the conversation online. You'll find Simply Smarter Numbers on Instagram, Facebook, and more. Just head to simplysmarternumbers.com and you'll find all that you need there. Simply Smarter Numbers is dedicated to you getting the results that you deserve in your business. And I'm honored that you tuned in.